So Money episode 1003, Toby Fairley, award-winning interior designer and founder of Design You. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. There's such a difference in working to exhaustion when you're under earning and getting paid well for a job well done. It's such a a great shift. Are you being intentional about the design of your life? Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. You know, when we think of design, we sometimes think of home interiors. That's where my mind goes. We think of designing a website. But what about our lives, your business? While it isn't as simple as picking out fabrics or a color scheme, my guest today believes that we can all be in control of our life's design to feel better about our interior, and that includes our money, our work, and our relationships. Toby Fairley is an award-winning interior designer who works on multi-million dollar projects, but she also works with everyday creatives, teaching them how to create a business and life that they love. And you know, speaking my love language, how to be profitable. It's very difficult sometimes when you are a creative person, when you are a writer or a singer, someone who has a craft to also think about the business, right? The systems, the strategy, the Excel spreadsheet. This is not your love language, probably. Toby has experienced this personally, but she also has an MBA and an accounting degree and the school of hard knocks. And she brings that all to her community. And she brings it now to the podcast. So much to learn from her. Here we go. Here's Toby Fairley. Toby Fairley, welcome to So Money. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this conversation. You know, the media has predicted that, quote, Toby will be like Cher or Oprah. How does that make you feel? Oh, I don't know. Those are big shoes to fill, but it feels, I mean, it's exciting. And I love that it kind of gives me permission to step into, you know, creating whatever I want in my life. Cause I think those women are trailblazers. So I'll definitely, um, accept it. Yeah. But it's a, it's a little daunting, I think. But pretty cool. Pretty cool. And you know, you have had an exceptional run. Your career is really exemplary. And now the work that you're doing, helping other creatives design their lives. I think it's really cool that you are not only making money from what you do, which is interior design, and you are an award-winning interior designer, but you're also dedicating part of your work to helping people with what you know, which is that sometimes when you are trying to approach your life as a creative and your business as a creative, that we're always busy doing the creative thing and not necessarily strategizing, thinking about profitability, thinking about our money. Uh, This is something that you know intimately well, and now you teach this to people through your programs, your podcast. When did you have that sort of aha moment that, oh, okay, so I physically design things, right? I design spaces, Mm -hmm. homes, but actually what I am also good at is helping people design their lives. When did you kind of realize you could cross that bridge? Back around the 2008 and 2009 recession, when I was watching things change with the interior design industry in particular, but just all industry, and I was thinking about, you know, what's going to happen if my clients put their projects on hold? Or what's my business going to look like? Where can I show up? Where can I 
provide value and serve other people. And I have known for a long time, from the time I was just a child, that I loved teaching. I loved taking complex things and making them more simple. And so around that time, I was thinking, what is it that everybody always asks me? What for? You know, what what do people want from me? And the answer was, they always just want to be a fly on the wall. They're like, if I could just shadow you, if I could just see how you run your business, if I could just see how you build your brand, if I could just see what you did to get published on the cover of a major national magazine or get a speaking engagement or or make a profit. Like, how do you actually make sure that you're making a profit, which is so hard to do for so many creatives? Um, and at that time, I developed something called Design Camp. And at first, I even kind of thought maybe it was going to be like a how to decorate kind of thing. And it immediately turned into how do you run your business? How do you build your brand? And I started having these events on weekends back in, I mean, that's probably 12 or 13 years ago. And it blew my mind the number of people that needed help, support, tools, information for really how to run their business because they were great at being creative. But the other part was just so foreign to them. And truthfully, that wasn't always something that you had perfected, right? I understand that in the early days of running your business, you were very, you were very successful in terms of revenue. But what your take home was was not was not great. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what were the mistakes that you were making that now you're teaching others to avoid? The truth of the matter was I had an accounting degree, an interior design degree, and an MBA, and I feel like I made exactly every same mistake that anybody else in a creative business would make, even with those things, because it's in the doing that we learn. And yes, I was great at creating revenues and getting clients and selling myself. But I wasn't really great at understanding, you know, how to create, you know, real profit. And the whole business model anyway was built on a really low profit margin in a lot of ways, selling furniture and other things. And so it really needed to be redesigned, the business model for interior design. And I think that's true for a lot of creative industries we've seen as they've kind of imploded over the last few years in different ways. And so I did go through the school of hard knocks of figuring it out and being in debt and making mistakes and barely making money. And there were moments where I was bringing in a seven figure revenue for the company and my own personal salary was, you know, $50,000 or less, which was exhausting. I mean, that was the epitome of burnout. Where were you spending the money? Oh gosh, you know, all the typical things that creatives do, like all the fun stuff. And at the time I had a retail store originally and buying things and shopping and, and, you know, spending money on, it was, it's fascinating when you're in that business model of interior design, you can fall into, and I'm sure, again, this applies to so many industries, you can fall into the being more committed to the finished product than profit. And I think that's a natural space for a lot of creatives to go to. And so we sacrifice our our profits because we're thinking, well, the client can't really finish this project or they don't want to. So I'll go ahead and pass this on at my cost because then I can have these pretty, pretty pictures. And if I have those in my portfolio, then I'll for sure be able to make money the next time. And you start making these choices that are detrimental to the bottom line 
they seemed to make so much sense at the time. And I made all of them. Literally, there's no mistake I don't think that a creative could make that I didn't make. But thankfully, I had this other set of tools from my financial education that I could start to notice and figure out and look at the numbers and not be afraid of the numbers and think, this this is not working. This is very broken. I was spending money on all the wrong things, for sure. Hmm. Yeah, I think we've all been there. So now you have a program for creatives and designers. It's called Design You. And this is, you call it not just another business program, because there's probably a, co- a lot of different kinds of quote unquote business programs for people like interior designers that are, you know, more obsessed with the their, the design and not so much mm-hmm. the numbers. Um, so tell us a little about Design You and, and who's ideal for it. The difference in Design You is I actually, believe it or not, I love education and I actually have also um, a life coaching certification because I learned a long time ago with myself and with other people I was coaching that you can have the best business tools in the world, but if all of your limiting beliefs and fears and and all the mindset stuff gets in the way, you're not going to implement. So that's one of the unique things about Design You is it combines mindset work with business tools for creatives. So it's kind of taking that three-pronged approach. Like I definitely relate to you because you are creative. I get that creatives get bored easily. We don't love to be on a schedule. We're, you know, there's so many things that I know intimately about a creative entrepreneur that is um, so helpful. But at the same time, I can have the mindset tools and the business tools and a whole lot of tough love for these creatives because I want them to succeed so desperately because I know how it feels to be in the pain of failure. Um, And so I think that's what makes it unique. The other thing that makes it unique is I'm still in the trenches of the design industry. So I still take high-end design clients. And so often when you're working with a coach, they used to be in an industry, but they're not on the pulse of or, you know, the, the cusp of what's happening and it's definitely a pivotal moment in our industry right now and in, in creative work in general. Um, it, there's a huge shift from being one-on-one high-end work to uh, showing up as an online business and meeting your clients where they are. And, and so I teach people all the ins and outs of every bit of that, not only how to make a profit, but how to digitally market your business um, and show up in ways that aren't natural for us creatives who would rather be a little bit more fly by the seat of our pants at times, but it's really to the detriment of our of our finances. So, so I think that's what's unique about Design You. It's perfect for a person who's willing to do the hard work, though, because I think that there can be a lot of people in creative industries who border on more hobbyist. I mean, they're great at what they do, but they're not super committed to making money, and I'm definitely very committed to helping people be highly profitable. Well, speaking of making money, part of Mm -hmm. the equation that really needs to, that's broken sometimes is what you charge, right? And I I understand, you know, you at one point decided, I'm just going to charge $80,000 per client. Maybe now it's even more, but that's up. That's impressive. And I'm sure that took <laughs> that took a, a lot of probably, you know, inner inner work to feel like I'm worth it. I can do it. I'm gonna ask for this. So what's your advice for any creative or anybody really who is having self-doubt or not even sure maybe they're confident, but they're just not sure like what their value is. They would like to make the big bucks. They yeah. want to stop charging pennies. 
Well, I think one of the biggest problems is most people look around and see what other people are charging. And they're, and I call that, instead of the going rate, the going out of business rate. Because it's easy to say, well, I could never charge more than $150 an hour because that's the going rate for my industry in my area. And I help people understand that that's the exact opposite way to approach their pricing. It's more about the value they bring to the customer how it's changing the customer's lives. And then it's also about their own particular business because all businesses are different, right? And some businesses might have zero overhead and working out of their home, a one person show and another business might have a team of eight and they have, you know, a $50,000 a month overhead. And so it's really about embracing not only um, your finances and being willing to not be afraid of them anymore, but it's also getting in touch with the real value you bring to the end user. And if you find that you can't charge enough, I think it's not about lowering your price. It's about raising the value you deliver to your customer. And that's usually not the conversation I hear most creative business owners having. So can we get very granular with this? Because I'd love to really drive this home. And maybe you can even lift from your own personal experience when you started to charge more. um, Mm -hmm. What was the added value that you brought to your customers? For me, it was shifting from I'm a sofa salesperson or I can bring some lamps over to I am actually creating a design for your home inside and out, how you want to live, how you want to feel, how you want to work or be in this space. Um, And there's so much to that level of design that the average person cannot do on their own. Anybody can go into a store and say, yeah, let me have that, you know, red sofa and those beige lamps um, and feel like they're a decorator or a designer. And I really zoned into what it was that I could provide that people couldn't provide for themselves. And so I think it's getting in touch with that zone of genius. It's really finding out what the void is between where the consumer is and what they need and leaning into that space. I stopped charging by the hour and I started charging a flat fee. And the very first flat fee I remember charging was $36,000, which was the most terrifying thing ever. It was for the just the first floor of a home. But I did some math. I ran some numbers on how long it would take, kind of the square footage of the house. I pitched this $36,000 fee and they said yes within like five seconds. And I was like, I left money on the table. So the next one was 42,000 and the next one was 56,000. Of course the houses were getting bigger and different sizes, but it was literally like two months later that I, I hit that $80,000 design fee and the client was thrilled. In fact, they felt like it was a bargain because I was handling so much on the project. There's so many details just in a, in a home. If you're thinking about the concept, the process of interior design in one room, new construction, there could be 200 decisions to make. And so I was stepping in and providing that value for the client, relieving stress for them, having a high level of customer service. And they could really see easily that this was not something they could do on their own. And so I was making sure that we were showing them the value we were providing and aligning that with the way they charge. And it was so much fun to charge really high rates and clients think it's the best money that they ever spent or even that they got a bargain, even that I should have charged more, which was mind boggling to me to go from a hundred or $150 an hour and making, you know, maybe 10 or $15,000 on a whole project that was exhausting to really stepping into charging what I was worth because I was spending my time on the things 
that mattered the most that the client couldn't do on their own. Hmm. Right. Giving them um, basically something that is invaluable. Yes. Priceless, really, priceless. right? Mm-hmm. The stress relief, the just the making decisions for them, the hand-holding, the customer saving service. Time, all right? of, yeah. yeah. And I mean, saving money is great for people, but when you're especially working with a luxury client, what's really important to them is saving time because we all know it's the one thing that we can't get more of. And so that was so, so valuable as all saving, saving so much time, preventing mistakes, when a mistake did arise, handling it for them. Um, And so I think it was really about finding the place that the value and the price would really meet and be sustainable long-term. It's not like just raising your rates. I mean, you can definitely do that. And I think most creatives are undercharging. They could probably double their rates today and still probably be at a zero. Yeah. At a zero. By making this shift to saying, where do I really add value and what is that value to the client? What are they willing to pay for that? Where, you know, what client in particular, what ideal client is willing to pay for this? Where do we align? And that was the way I really made the shift into going from a, you know, measly hourly rate to a lot of times a six figure design fee and working very hard for my money. But still, you know, there's such a difference in working to exhaustion when you're under earning and getting paid well for a job well done. It's such a a great shift. Listen, if you're talented in in interior design, it is a lucrative industry because you're talking six figures and that's on top of the furniture and all the fabrics and all the materials and all the appliances that the client is paying for. So that's, and then, then when you consider all the other investments, your fee is like, it's just like, like a small portion of that, right? Relative to all the money they're probably going to spend on all the things. And it's really interesting. Um, you know, some of our projects might be million dollar projects and they're amazing. But the fascinating thing with the design industry is there's so much feast or famine waiting for those projects to come along. So when you hit those, yeah, you can be really lucrative, but what about all the space in the middle, which is the other thing that that I work with with designers on and creatives on is, you know, how do what do I do when you're not making jobs? money? So yeah, what do you what do you do? What do you, just, what do you do? You get paid in January, let's say, and then 6 right. months go by, you got you haven't gotten a paycheck. And meanwhile, you know, you got bills coming in. So what are your best tips for anybody listening that has inconsistent income? So that's really the work I do in the in the Design You program. So I teach creatives how to create additional revenue streams that allow them to meet the customers where they are at other price points that are still worth their value. So everybody's natural response is, well, I must be too expensive if I'm not getting more work. I need to lower my price which is the exact opposite of what you need to do on your high-end service. But there's a huge gap between, you know, the bottom of, say, kind of your value ladder, if you even have any other products on there, and this highest-end service. So I teach people to um, consider what other levels of service, which a lot of times is just consulting or advice, design only. Um, some I, I help people even create revenue streams where they meet their clients on Zoom and they just give advice and charge, you know, anywhere from $1,500 to $5,000 for some sessions. And it's amazing to see the shift in people's mindset when they go from only thinking one-on-one to thinking that way. 
and they can meet the client where they are. And then the next step from that is even considering, is there an, an option for a course or some other scalable product to even meet another piece of my, you know, customer base where they are. And it's funny because not every client, even the affluent clients are going to spend a million dollars on every project. They may say, well, I want my main home to be at this level and I want our beach house that we're probably going to sell in two years to, and that's going to be rented every week to be at this level. And so there's other ways that you can meet people where they are if you're willing to get creative and make sure that you protect your value um, in relation to the price point. So that's the only thing. I think people, when they think scalable, so often think, oh, I'm going to go from a million dollar project to a $99 course, and that makes no sense. And I would agree with them. But it's more looking at their particular audience and saying, who else is needing me? Who else is asking me for something? And is there a way for it to be a win-win for both of us, for me to show up, they to show up, you know, we get they get a lot of value. I get well paid, but it's not at this big soup to nuts kind of, you know, year or two year project level. Uh, and so it's been real fun to help people shift to that thinking, which is kind of mind boggling, actually. When you I love it. I of, love this sort of yeah. thinking. You're speaking my mm-hmm. language. I love the idea of thinking about your work as not just this sort of, you know, Like there's the totality of your work, of course, and those big projects are very exciting. But all along, you have so many skills. You have so many zones of genius. You've got so much experience that extracting that is worth the exercise and kind of understanding, okay, well, you know, I'm a designer or I'm an artist, but what else am I? You know, to get to where I am, there's so many steps and points of interest for people that I can monetize. Um, it's it's a great, anyone listening, I mean, whatever skill you have, like we saw, sort of started the show, you know, there's what you do and there's what you know, there's what you've mm-hmm. experienced, there's your relationships, there's how you think that could inspire and teach. And so think about all the ways that you can pull from your life and your career to make more money. That's a great exercise, I think. And to always kind of look through your work through that lens is, I mean, how could you not be profitable? Yeah. I think of one client, real real quick story. I think it's worth sharing. I have one of my members of Design U who is a product designer and she makes these really unique chairs. They sell for like two to $3,000 a chair. And she's like, okay, well, I'd love to have some other way to make money. But the only thing that people ever ask me for besides being able to buy the chair is all of my raving fans that can't afford the chairs. And they're like, how did you do that? And I said, well, then why are you not creating an, a course on how to upholster your own chair? And she said, well, wouldn't that just cannibalize my whole high end business? And I said, absolutely not, because the people who are going to buy a three thousand dollar chair are not going to be in their garage with a staple gun. But the people who want to do that or even could make a business out of upholstering or designing chairs um, is a completely different customer. So she built a course. She started last, you know, just a few months ago, built it in three or four months. She's had two launches in the last three months, and she's already made $60,000 in revenue teaching people how to upholster and design their own chairs. When she launched the course, she had a thousand people on her waiting list because she had mentioned that she was creating this. And it has blown her mind that she could show up and meet the needs of that other part of her audience without do. And in fact, not only did it d- diminish her chair sales in any way, it actually increased it. Because when people start the process and they're like, oh, wait, now I suddenly know why her chair 
stickers are worth three thousand dollars. <laughs> this um, took a long think, time. Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna pay for one. Like I, I buy in now, and so it's been so fun to watch. I have just so many of those same types of stories of helping people see that there's so many ways that they can bring their genius to the market and charge for it in a different way, meet the customer where they are in a different way, and it's just really, really exciting and fun. Great anecdote. So I'm so I'm hearing a little bit of an accent. Southern accent. Take me back to your Southern roots. And I'm just curious to know um, if your introduction to money was at all reflective of how you were raised, where you were raised, your environment. Yes, absolutely. So I'm from Arkansas. So it's those, some people who aren't from the South don't ever really know if Arkansas is in the South, but in Arkansas, we think we're Southern uh, and we definitely have a Southern accent. And I was raised, um, my dad is still running a 104 year old family telecommunications business. My great, great grandfather started, it was landline telephones back in 1916. So definitely come from an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, family and um, really a, a family and a mindset that anything's possible and we can build a business around things and, and we're willing to put in the time, the energy, the money, the effort. So that was such a gift as a child to grow up in that way with that sort of thinking. So I've never really known anything else but being an entrepreneur and solving people's problems. Um, so definitely my childhood had a huge impact on the business I've built for myself. What did your family think when you wanted to pursue something in the creative industry? I understand that there might have been more of a push towards, you know, like the traditional successful, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes, successful paths like, you know, business, law, medicine, et cetera. Well, it was definitely out of the realm of anything they had imagined, for sure. Because, you know, you just don't really think um, from a small southern town, oh, I hope my daughter grows up to be an interior designer. Not that anything was necessarily wrong with it. It just wasn't on that list that you just described, right? And they knew I was capable of a lot and they wanted me to be successful. So it just, it had never been introduced. So I went to college and I started in accounting and I did end up getting an accounting degree, but I was a few years in, I think I was in a tax class and I was sitting there thinking, thinking, oh my gosh, like someone, please help us, save me. This is miserable. Like there's no way I can sit behind a desk and crunch numbers. This, I just, no, it's not my path. And I remember I was already on the side helping friends, you know, like decorate their apartment or I was really good with color. I'm great at entertaining, very much a homemaker. I get that from my mom. And so I started really becoming aware of the interior design industry and that it was even a thing. And right about that time was when HGTV and some of the other shows about design started coming online. And I remember thinking, okay, this is this is my path. And back then there was hardly even an internet to search. Um, I don't even think it was Google. It was like I somehow found some information uh, about the University of Arkansas's interior design program. And I had to call them on the phone and ask a bunch of questions. So I went and got all my ducks in a row. And I was thinking, I'm going to pitch this to my parents and maybe they'll help me go back to college. If not, I'll pay, figure out how to pay for it my, by myself, which I really didn't want to do. That sounded really scary. Uh, but my first effort was going to be to put together a full business plan for my da- entrepreneur dad to show him why this was a legit career and how it actually had potential. Uh, and I did just that. 
that. And they said, of course, yes, you're, I don't know, however old I was after one degree, 23 or four, um, you, you should get a job. But if you want to go back to school too, we will help you with that, which they did, which was so wonderful. But it was definitely a scary moment. I was terrified myself if I could really make it work. Uh, I really wanted to make it work. And I, but I did my best sales effort to put the business plan together. And it was, it was fun. It's fun to look back on because so much of that business plan actually came to fruition. Um, it reminds yeah. me of uh Gosh, there's there's a Hollywood actress, and she talks about wanting to co- go to Hollywood when she was younger, and trying to convince her parents. And she created a PowerPoint presentation, <laughs> yeah. and she went on to win an Oscar. I'm her name is escaping me right now, um, but it, you know she's like one of the most successful actresses out there. But uh, that's a fantastic story. Fast forward a little bit from that moment with your family. And, you know, we already did talk about how you were bringing him very little profit, despite the fact mm-hmm. that you were good at earning. What was it? What's a story, a time in your life when you did have a, a bit of financial struggle? Uh, and, and how did you overcome that? Well, I remember going, uh, there was one point where I had to actually take out a loan a few years into my business, probably five years in because I was not really maxim, I wasn't, well, heck, maximizing profit. I don't even know if I was making a profit. Um, I was doing everything in my power to try to make a profit, profit, and I thought I was doing everything right, and it just wasn't working. And I remember having to go to my dad, and I did feel like a total failure. And I said, you know, I need, I need some cash. I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to revamp the way I show up in my business. I'm going to start meeting with my accountant every single week. We're going to get on top of this. But... I need you. I think I was in my late 20s and I said, I need you to sign on this loan with me. Uh, And I remember the whole process. I mean, talk about terrifying, too. And then my banker was very, very scary. They were both extremely intimidating. Uh, But I remember taking out a $50,000 loan uh, because I had to get on top of this and I had to really change a lot of the way I was spending and the things that I was choosing um, that I thought were important to put my money on and really, really double down on figuring out how to make money, what was profitable. And that's about the same time I started shifting the way I charged. Um, and, and it definitely led to a happily ever after story, but it was so painful in the process. Uh, it's definitely in the failures that you grow, but I was at that moment of saying, I've got to get some cash and I've got to make a lot of changes or I won't be in business very much longer. Oh my gosh. Um, and, uh, what's the biggest lesson there for you? Oh my gosh. There's so many lessons. Okay. Biggest lesson of that. Uh, well, it's, it's really easy to spend other people's money and that's what we do kind of as an interior designer, uh, a lot of times. And when you're spending your own money and you're signing basically everything you own, uh, at the time, as on the dotted line to like for this, this cash infusion, like as a last ditch effort, I think it it was the biggest lesson was um, I have to be completely honest with myself about every part of this. I have to be honest about what's really making me money. I have to be honest and say no to things that aren't. And I have to be so disciplined um, every, so you can't just look at your finances once a year with the tax, you know, accountant and ever make any progress. So I literally met every single week painfully for 
more than a year, but I know I did 52 weeks without missing. Um, and then really probably for another couple of years after that, before I even would say, okay, now we, I think we can meet once a month. Uh, but it was just, it was taking charge of your own business. And as a creative and as a woman, I think that a lot of us don't do that. And so it really was sort of being an emotional adult about um, taking charge to and making this thing work. And I love now what you're teaching, which is that you can be the own designer of your own life. So often we feel mm-hmm. like we're not, like we're be just being reactive to all the things that are happening to us, but you're really encouraging us to go out there and and pick out the colors and pick out the fabric and, you know, for, for our lives, for our interior yes. lives. Um, what's been uh, the greatest uh, experience in the last year that you've had with any of your students? I'm sure there's been a number of breakthroughs, but I would imagine that a lot of people coming to you are overwhelmed because like you, they were yes people. Yes, I'll do this. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll be there for you. And then you kind of forget about yourself. Um, And so what, can you give us an example of some of the breakthroughs or even just one example of some of the dramatic changes that your students have gone through? Yeah. So I think of one student and she's worked with me um, in the past in other ways before I did the design program. And now she's working with me now. It's been fun to see the difference because initially I was just teaching her about finances and and how to, you know, really, really run her business. But now we're saying, what do you really want? What do you want your life to look at? And I think you're right. So often we just say yes. We say yes to the people. We say yes to all, you know, especially a career like interior design. Of course, I'll work nights and weekends because my client has to work during the day or whatever. So no boundaries at all. Um, and then just saying yes to all the things that like a good designer would. And just believing that anything that's on that list in your mind of what a good designer would do, that you also have to offer those, even if they're not profitable, even if you hate them. And so I, it's been really fun. And one, this one client in particular, she was really thinking about getting out of the design industry altogether. And we just started digging into what she was passionate about. And she said, I think I might want to help some people with their businesses. I'm not sure. I don't really know. I'm just really burned out. And I said, well, what's important to you in general? And she said, well, I think I really want to talk to people about introverts because she said, I'm an introvert. And I felt like I was never really heard. I feel like the whole message for building a business is just feel the fear and do it anyway, which is not a language that introverts speak. And she said, I feel like I, I'm, I'm going to have some impact in the in the world with introverts. And so in the last six to eight months, uh, I've helped her create an entirely do, new business, which is coaching for coaching and interior design for introverts. So she helps them in a sense, kind of do what I do, but it's for introverts. And she's created a podcast and she's really found her her niche, her passion of helping people go through the things that she struggled with. And she's applied it just like we talked about, like taking the tools and the gifts and the, the talent she had, we've created this very unique business that I don't know anyone. It's kind of like, not having any competition anymore because she she's created this little carved out kind of um, spot for her. And it's been so fun to watch. So now she only does consulting for introverts in their life and their business, including in their home. And it's really, really cool. 
I love that. Doing something that no one else is doing. <laughs> yeah. And that's therefore, yeah. yeah, that's my favorite thing to do is to say, like, let's, and that's what we mean by designing. Like, it's kind of like you said, like, if someone would lay out a bunch of paint colors and fabric, I'm like, let's lay out all the samples on the table. Let's look at what you have. And let's build something with that. And that's exactly what I help people do. And it's so fun because what comes out of that is such a unique personal business and, and offering to the world because it really is based on you, your talents, your experiences, what you love. And that's exactly the work I help people do. And when you can do that, like you were just saying, you don't have any competition. There is no, no, there may be somebody that comes behind you and mimics what you did, but it's so fun because you're carving your own niche, you're making your own way, you're writing your own story or path. And that's, yeah, really what it's about. Toby, you've been so much fun. Let's have more fun. Let's do some so money fill in the blanks. This is when <laughs> I start a sentence and then you can finish it, whatever comes first to mind. Don't overthink. Okay. All right. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say $100 million, the first thing I would do is? Buy a beach house. You don't have a beach house? I don't, but I need one and I can make it really pretty. <laughs> I don't know why you thought you'd have one. But, it's going to uh, be gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. Uh, well, by the way, what's your style? Like if for yourself, like what do you love? What's it like if, you know. So if, you're, if your audience goes out to my Instagram, they'll instantly see I'm known for using a lot of color. And my style is very much rooted in traditional elements, but it is not typical traditional. It's very colorful and bright and bold. Mm, all right. Okay. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? My team. Not just like at work, but like at my house. I have t people that help me do so many things because I can't be everywhere all the time. So all the people that help me be me, <laughs> which is a lot of people. It's a lot of people. I know. It takes a village to raise ourselves, <laughs> not just kids. Exactly. Yes. One thing I splurge on unapologetically is? Shoes. Really? All right. Mm -hmm. Like that. Um, when I donate, I like to give to blank because? I like to give to women who are who need help and are also willing to help themselves. Any specific charities? So I do a lot for single moms, um, especially at different occasions like holidays and things like these hardworking moms that just can't get ahead. Um, I love to support charities. There's one called Dwell with Dig Dignity, which creates homes for um, people that can't afford to have a home for themselves and their children. Um, anything like that, that is helping women who I just see, they just need a leg up and they're giving it their all, but they just can't quite get there. That's my favorite person to help. And last but not least, I'm Toby Fairley. I'm so money because... I'm not afraid of failure. That's right. My brother, the other day, we were having a conversation like he hates the word failure. He's like, it shouldn't be called failure. It should be called, you know, a learning lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with him. I was just listening to a podcast about this too. That's like, we send the wrong message to our youth. Our children were like, 
You should be perfect from the minute you get in school and make all A's. And the real truth is you should make F's until you figure out how to make A's, right? Right. Um, and so that I love that message. I completely agree with your brother. He's so right. <laughs> well, Toby, thank you so much for sharing time with us. And congratulations. You're making such an impact. It's really great to learn more about you and wishing you all the success this year. Thank you so much. To learn about Toby's podcast and her program and her consulting, go to tobyfairly.com. She's also on Instagram, very bright. She was not kidding. Very colorful, at Toby Fairly. All this information is also on the So Many Podcast website. Go to somanypodcast.com. And if you've got a question for me for our Friday episodes, let me know by clicking on Ask Farnoosh. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money.